0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Risky Business's coverage of Ossert's 2011 conference here on the Gold Coast. I'm Patrick Gray. Uh, This coverage of Ossert's 2011 conference is brought to you by Microsoft. Uh, Thanks to them. Without Microsoft's support, uh, this coverage would not be happening. So, yeah, big thanks to them. Uh, And we're going to podcast a presentation now. Uh, It's by Ian Appleby. He's the information security manager at Endeavour Energy, and he's responsible for the security of its corporate and SCADA systems. And his talk is on risk management in a smart metering environment. Smart metering obviously being very big, very hip, not just in Australia, uh, but globally. So we'll pick up Ian's talk just a couple of minutes in. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Denial of supply, control or metering of your network very common, very easy. Physical attacks. So we've gone from having all our infrastructure nicely nestled inside 30-foot anti-climb fences, razor wire, CCTV, surveilled substations, and we're going to stick it on the side of your house. And just to make life even better, it's a requirement of law that it's easily accessible from the outside, so meter readers and other people can get to your meter box on a regular basis, which means anyone else can get to your meter box on a regular basis. Feel free to buy a padlock. Modification, fraud, theft, criminal activity, malicious modification um, for companies or individuals. If you're a large company, you have a high power use, you might want to reduce your power use and allocate it to the company next door. Uh, Criminal activity, hiding your drug labs, um, just straight energy theft. Modification, of course, if your power bill goes to zero, it'll be quite noticeable, so just make sure it's only over 40% of the actual total. And from an interception point of view, we need to look at privacy, personalisation, the data that's held within the system, the occupancy schedule of your house. It's not that big a thing. People can sit outside your house in a car and know when you go to bed, when you get up, when you go to work, who's at home during the day. But they can do it remotely over the web if they have access through your smart meter and through your own um, web portal login systems. So usage rates, are you a low-power user, are you a high-power user, are you really getting a lot of money from your gross feed-in tariffs? And whether the complexity of all this versus the benefit and I mean risk management is all about um, benefit versus risk, et cetera, and does this give us the adequate benefits for the money we're spending in putting in place this technology and are we going to leverage that to the maximum? So we have a new century. The risks are the same. These are the same things we've been looking at at IT systems for a long time and in SCADA control systems. Engineers have been moving forward and securing a lot of that. And now we're trying to apply the lessons learned from the technologies and things we've got out of IT and IT systems into the engineering field. And I'm a bit of a hybrid because I've been in both sides of the business. So. Functionality versus risk. First functionality, remote meter read. So it saves us having meter readers go around the street. Um, Therefore, we don't need to have someone visit your house on a regular basis. Downside of that is if you have someone physically attack the power box or the power meter, we, not have, we may not have someone see that power box and know it's been tampered with for up to two or three years. Remote disconnect and connect. Great for when you're in house, you come to a new premises, you ring up, they connect your power. Brilliant. Um, if you don't like your neighbour, turn his power off. Um, so... We have a variety, so you've got functionality and the risk. So the functionality is great from an operational point of view. We can control power. We can talk to the resident and say, are you at home? Yes. All your appliances turned off? Yes. Right, we're going to turn your power on now, or we'll turn your power off now in preparation for some work happening in the street. Great functionality, but your balance against the risk. Load shedding, um, quite popular. With the generation capabilities these days, we have to look at shedding load at peak times of demand, especially those nice 43, 45 degree days when everyone turns on their air conditioner, sits inside and puts on the plasma TV. So load shed, right? if we can cycle your air, con- air conditioning compressor for five minutes and we do that across 10,000 homes, that saves the significant peak for that five minute period, then we cycle more homes and we reduce the requirement for generation um, we can turn off swimming pool motors, and all this is something that the customer service people and retailers need to engage the customers with to see if there's any, what the benefit to the customer is in this as well. But if we can do that remotely, there's also risks that come involved in that as well, of someone else cycling your air conditioner and turning it off your pool pump. Um, legal liabilities, if we turn your pool pump and you can't turn it back on again, um, each one has its own downfalls. Time of day tariffs that was popular a couple of years ago, our time of day metering changing people 's behaviors, so we can set prices at different times of the day and using smart meter and you can see that you can see that real time. you can look at the in home device, and you know how much power you 're using, when it 's cheap, when it 's expensive, and you can change your behavior modify your behavior to reduce your power bill. but at the same time, other people can see that you can modify things accordingly. And that level of communication provides its own level of risks of intrusion back into the power network and back into the meter. Over-the-air updates. So we've gone from, I mean, we run a, a corporate network at the moment of 2,500 PCs, and we have an update cycle. We roll out security patches. We roll out SOE updates. We flash them every now and then when users download weird little bits of software to them. Uh, we now have to do that with 850,000 meters. It changes the whole scale and complexity of putting out a patch update. And it's not just necessarily for security. Um, We're now a power distributor and not a retailer. So if the retailer says they need extra functionality to provide things through the in-home device, in-home display, um, then you may have to reflash your meters to provide the functionality for those retailers under contractual arrangements. So you need to know that, yes, we have that functionality and we can reflash meters, we can update them, we can control the security but that provides a whole new level of risks of authorisations, authentications of um, controlling access to the metre through the um, -the over-the-air methodology, whether it be GPRS, uh, Wi-Fi, ZigBee, fibre. And the last one is fraud detection and prevention. So with all this risks and possible physical intrusions, we need to put in place a lot of intrusion prevention measures, whether it's physical intrusion prevention, light sensors, opening detections... Um, computer algorithms to detect common common use and actual use over time and day period to make sure that it hasn't changed significantly over a period of time and flag issues when they're coming up so someone doesn't suffer from bill shock where they normally have a bill of $500 and you're going to give them a bill of $2,500 this quarter. So the new network boundaries. Used to be a nice simple corporate diagram. So now we've included um, the homes, the swimming pools, the air conditioners, the in-home devices, the smart meters themselves, and our network boundary in the home defi- depends on how we deal with the retailers and where the government regulation comes in. At the moment, not sure whether our network boundary is going to be the smart meter, and everything outside of that smart meter is considered hostile, or whether we're going to be responsible for the in-home device as well, and if we own the in-home device and we provide that to our customers? Are we required by the retailers to then allow them to self-install their own in-home devices? And are we then responsible for the home area network security because it will be connected via 802.11 to their switch router and across the wonderful network? Um, And communications back to us will be over meshed radio. So you might use a mesh radio and access points. We've got that in um, small-scale deployments at the moment. And it's working quite well, and that may backhaul via a variety of other technologies, predominantly fibre. Uh, we may use uh, GSM, GPRS, HSDPO, so you've got the nice uh, SIM cards, which someone in Tasmania found recently was a new attack on the smart meter, which is they take the smart card and then use it for downloading as many um, pirated videos and everything they wanted to the tune of approximately $193,000. You think you have problems when you ring up Telstra to say, hey, we have a problem? Um, We also have fibre. We have private fibre. In Sydney now, we have new housing estates that are fully cabled up with their own fibre. So we now have to interface with a private company to extract the data from that fibre where the metres are connected to the fibre. And then we have the NBN, which may or may not come down your street or which may or may not come to every house in your street depending on the state they're in and whether the legislation is there to allow them to connect to your house and whether they do agreements with various power distribution companies to actually install... NBN when they install the smart meter and power it up to have um, grid-side power, because the benefit for the NBN of grid-side power is the end user can't turn it off. Then we have entire smart cities, solar cities, we have um, high availability neighborhoods that connect into our network, and with all this it comes into our metering systems, we can use this as a metering system and connect it back into our SCADA control systems, so there you have another cross-connect between two predominantly separate systems, both your monitoring and then your control. Corporate, because of course we've got to bill everyone and the customers want to know what they're doing so we also have to put this out onto the internet so their in-home devices can update and show them on a regular basis exactly what it's costing them to run the air conditioner that day. So the network boundaries are starting to get rather blurred and complex. Smart meters. Just a prime example, this is not necessarily one we're going to use, it's just a nice little graphic for the purpose of the presentation. We're still undergoing a lot of trials and we're going from small scale to medium scale trials to limit down until we eventually have a design that incorporates all the necessary elements that we've decided will work well together in a secure and manageable way. So when we're looking at the business functionality of these meters, how many external interfaces? Um, They will generally have optical interfaces now, so you can One of your technicians can come up, optically connect to it, and then reprogram and flash it. Communications. uh, Could be Zigbee, could be, um, as I said, fiber, GPRS, 3G, uh, Z-Wave. So you've got meter to in-home display. Is that one-way, is that two-way? And that comes down again to the regulation, whether the retailers control the environment and control the load shedding as part of their retail package, or whether the distributors control that. Um, retailers to in-home display. We're a distributor. We no longer retail, so retailers are going to want to put their messages and their offers and their, their sales pitch to their customers on the in-home displays as well. And then distributors to in-home display, so we can announce to users that, hey, we've got a planned outage in your street at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. You will lose power for two hours while we replace the mains cable, etc. So we can use it for more interactive communications with our customers as well. So there's a lot of communications. With the communications come pitfalls, holes, risks, so first technology risk, physical penetration. As I said before, it is put on the side of your house. It's easily accessible, at least in commercial premises where there's large-scale electricity use. They normally lock it up in a, built, in a nice little utilities room. Um, so we have to look at the detecting physical penetration. And from a time of physical penetration, the old security axiom is from the time from detection to the time of response, your time-based security model. How far and how bad can they get to you? And so from the time you detect someone's broken into a meter, how long does it take you to get a authorised high-powered electrician out to the house because you can't use the customer or other people to access someone's meter box because of the high-voltage dangers? Home area network communications. So we have in-home devices connected to the home area network, to your personal 802.11 network that's connected to the internet, connected to your brand-new 3D internet-capable TV, your fridge, Your iPhone, your iPad, your Android tablet, and a variety of other devices in the home, that each pose a significant risk to the inside of your, the security of the inside of your network. So, as I said before, from the smart meter point of view, we would really have to say that everything in the house is potentially hostile. I mean, when was the last time you did a security update of the internet-capable TV that you operate on your desk at the moment? WAN communications, yeah, if it's SIM card, it's easy. Denial of service, go up, open the meter, pull the SIM card. Um, could be radio interference, a variety of ways of distributing, uh, of disrupting the WAN communications of your metering and whether it's going to be local, that affects just a couple of houses or whether it's going to be broad because they've climbed the pole and they've taken out the wireless, access, the wireless mesh access point on top of the light pole. Just because it's up a light pole doesn't mean it's inaccessible. They've actually had them disappear in the States. Quite interesting, somebody wants to climb a light pole and pull down a live transmitting antenna. Authentication. For everything we do with a smart meter, we've got to control it. You've got to have strong authentication. One, we need to know we're talking to the right meter. Two, the meter needs to know it's talking to the right control system. So, for And that's especially imperative for remote disconnects. Connects. And for load shedding, etc., so you know you're talking to the right meter, the meter's taking commands from a known control source. And you need to put in something that's going to be fairly spoof resistant. And authorization. So if the smart meter, if the in-home device needs to talk to the smart meter, if it only needs to read power usage, that's simple. Give it read-only access to the smart meter. But if the retailers get the power to change control systems, then that in-home device may need to have access to read and write to the meter or to write to other um, in-home technologies such as your um, air conditioning, your swimming pool. Home area networks, so we have your smart meter, we have your air conditioner, could have a nice little control box on the compressor line just to cut it out and cycle it for five minutes. Swimming pool pumps, we then also have to take into consideration the electronics control systems around um, electric car charging, not only for the purpose of uh, providing power at different prices when people want to charge their cars overnight, but also for the possibility that in a disaster recovery or business continuity, you may try and, and use the power from those battery cells in those cars to generate back into the house. So there's a whole new... Um, system. And then on top of that, you've also got other small in-home generators, whether they be solar panels, uh, wind uh, turbines on the roof, that are also generating power and pumping them back into your power board at the same time, and the in-home display. There's two models up there, one very simple, one a little bit more complex, and they now come in multiple colours and with multiple different graphs, and they can show you all sorts of things, and you can even surf the internet and get Twitter and YouTube on the damn things. So people don't want one device that does one thing. So you've got your TV with all the functionality it's got now and these things are increasing where they're going to become a multi-use terminal that sits on your kitchen bench. So bridging networks, if that nice decorative in-home device that sits on your kitchen bench is connected to your internet via your home router or via your iPhone or whatever else you've tethered it to, and it's connected to your smart meter, is there a distinct separation of the communication protocols and communication channels within that? So we do have a hard break that one will not go straight through into the other. And we don't want it to go the other way as well. And I've said it could be Wi-Fi, ZigBee, there's also Z-Wave and a variety of other protocols. Either way, it becomes a weak link. That is your convergence zone. That's where you're connecting the two together. And the security, so multiple access points right across the home area network. We have multiple access points. So we, for me- just for mesh radio, the amount of access points required out in the street to cover a suburb and then bring all that back. And without all these 850,000 metres coming in through the access points and all the areas we don't control, and then you start to look at the distribution automation side where once you get out of the substation, you have the pole top transformers, the reclosers, the nice greed pan mount kiosks they have in the streets as well, and you suddenly see there are a lot of unprotected devices out there in the field that have the same level of security risks and protocols that we have to look at. WAN backhaul. So there's that nasty word that was mentioned in the first presentation of the day, cloud. So private fiber, whether you're using MPLS, whether you're using private network, Um, NBN. Uh, Starburst, I've seen some nice... um, suggested possibilities now of both um, Ring and Starburst network. And the whole point is, with your backhaul, is to look at the amount of data you're taking, look at your redundancy. If you can't see a meter for a little while, it's most likely not the end of the world. If you can't see your substations and transformers for a little while, that's a problem. So redundant, we want to make sure that metering redundancy is separate to the distribution automation redundancy. no, not putting all your eggs in one basket. We've got to keep the whole lot fairly well segregated. Um, I'm a firm believer that the metering provides us with a nice real-time feedback and monitoring system and should be kept separate to the actual distribution, automation and control systems. So one is actually telling you what the other one is doing and therefore it's easier for you to de- detect anomalies of either meters or other systems being shut down the only problem with all these wonderful backhaul technologies, um, including 3G, HSDPA, etc., is clear and unequivocal agreement of availability and security responsibilities are essential when you're using third-party networks. So can you get a signed contract from your telco that says we absolutely guarantee the security of the tunnel from point to point? And do you trust them? And if you don't, well, the security responsibility is yours and you will need to encrypt it from the meter all the way back to your system, or you'll need to encrypt it from your router to router communications. And take the security responsibility for yourself and don't necessarily trust what people promise unless you can audit effectively. Big problem with this network is the amount of data flow... Endeavour Energy is not the largest power company in New South Wales, and we're talking 850,000 premises. So we're talking high data throughput, and that is purely on the metering side without looking at the data throughput and the security you've got to put into the distribution automation at the same time. So your topology is critical to allow you to correctly identify and see any threats on the network as they appear in real time. You've got to keep your data flows down to a point where you can actually see what's happening and detect it. Distributed security. If you're thinking of the data flows, 850,000 metres every 15 minutes phoning home, that's a fair bit of data coming through one network point back in your your main control room or your main data centre. So distribute that, put it out in the field. If you've got choke points, if you have um, several wireless access points, go back to a a choke point back at a um, substation before it's backhauled via fibre, you can put your security out into the substation area. And keep that controlled. That way you can also more clearly identify exactly where the attacks are coming from whilst they're occurring and they will be coming. As the previous presenter covered, there is a lot more interest in SCADA at the moment. And as we roll out smart metering infrastructure, I'm sure you'll see a lot more interest in people wanting to find out how that little box works on the side of their house. Real-time monitoring and prioritise instant management so you can understand what's happening, when it's happening. Security, is all about time-based security. So detect, respond. If someone's inside your network because they've opened up a transform on the street, and they're on your network for a good 40 minutes or two days before you get around to finding out why the cover's off the transformer, that's a significant time for someone to be connected and trawling through your network. For someone to effectively footprint and start to identify what your network looks like in order to attack it quite successfully, that normally takes a bit of time, although that time is getting shorter every year. So... Real-time monitoring, speed of response is critical to managing your network. And as I said before, metering segregation I think is quite important. We need to control and keep the distribution automation separate to the metering so one can be used to check and balance the other. And the distribution automation systems are generally more secured inside physical premises than our metering systems are. Data integrity, inspecting your data Input bounds checking, so inspect the data. Is it normalised packets? Is it what you're expecting? When you're expecting it? Inputs bound checking, is it the correct size, correct shape? Anomaly checking, um, that's part of your fraud detection, so you'll be looking at your standard usage, and if you're getting 15-minute increments, you're going to know quite regularly what your customer's regular usage is, and you'll be able to pattern match across and put in standard deviations to detect when there's a really abnormal... Because despite the fact that we're going to put in smart metering and we're going to put in all these wonderful control systems, the old-style attacks still work wonderfully well. Brute force wins. So the old-style attack of plugging into the back of the meter and going before the meter is still electricity theft. Um, So if we're detecting high levels of usage, we're matching that against what what the nearest transformer is putting out compared to what every house on that street is actually using at the time compare one to the other, just minus your 10% loss or 5% loss that you're receiving on those lines depending on the age of the cables. And you might have an idea that someone's just tapped your cable and running a nice little hydroponic setup for their own benefit. And authentication. It comes down to the authentication from the meter back into the system. Is that data packet from where you expect it to be? And this authentication and the encryption is absolutely critical to the control and running of your whole smart metering network. You've got to trust the data and you've got to trust your control points. And the only way to do that effectively is with a sound authentication system. Active versus passive protection. In a corporate environment, I'm now quite often um, putting in active protection systems, intrusion prevention. Um, Not quite game to do that in a distributed metering system or in a uh, uh, distributed automation system. Uh, So if you are using passive protection, you've got to make sure your incident response and your detection is very quick in order to keep that that time to a minimum between intrusion and response. Standards. NIST, NERC, there's a lot of people with different standards problem we have with some of the standards, the technology is rapidly evolving. From the time we evaluate a meter at the moment, in three months' time, there's a new update, new patch out, the whole ballgame's changed again. There's new functionality added to it, there's new things we need to change. Um, Standards aren't necessarily mandated. We need to keep on updating the devices as the standards change, and when you're thinking if you've already got several hundred thousand of these rolled out, The idea to get it wrong up front and then go and retrospectively refit several hundred thousand homes is going to take a long time and is going to be extremely expensive. So cost versus risk. Every time we ask for more security, vendor costs go up. Meters become more expensive, systems become more expensive, and increased operational costs to keep the staff and all the systems to keep that going. You've got to balance that back against the standards, and just because someone says they comply with the standards, audit. So if someone says they have strong authentication, they've got a really good encryption standard. Have someone look at the meter, make sure it isn't a common seed file. Have they learnt from the earlier web vulnerabilities where your encryption's compromised very easily? Are not using um, stored encryption keys or compromised key encryption keys in the protocols? Um, Some people quite happily tell you that they've met all your security requirements and everything else, but considering the scale of the rollout and the scale of the system you're putting in place, you can't afford to get it wrong. So we have to prepare not just for what we know now about threats and vulnerabilities, but for what we don't know is likely to become a threat or a vulnerability in a couple of years' time. Because, um, as I said, pushing out another several hundred thousand metres because... The version you've got now won't update over there or has a physical vulnerability or logical vulnerability that you can't remotely fix is going to be a very expensive proposition. The technology is moving very quickly, so plan for the future, don't plan for today. Thank you very much.